to Writing the Rapids. This is a special episode. It's the Experimental Writing Roundtable, where I talk to John Treffery of Inside the Castle Press, Mike Correo, and Mike Klein about experimental writing. Defining it, thinking about it, reading it, and writing it, and reviewing it. I found this roundtable profoundly helpful, and I hope that you will too. If you like the work that I do with Writing the Rapids, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe. There's all kinds of good rewards. Your general Patreon fair. I don't want to go into it too deep because I just want you to listen to what these guys had to say. So in preparation for this, I sent you guys all things to think about. And a day later the Inside the Castle Twitter account posts a picture of the experimental novel and other essays by Emile Zola, who says, Zola, the father of the realist novel that continues to strangle literature, literally wrote an essay describing his work as experimental, so y'all can keep that term. Uh, What I wanted you guys to consider was how you define experimental writing, or if that's even a term you like or want people to use. So, John... Um, beyond that, how do you feel about the term experimental writing uh, with the assumption that you know what I'm talking about when I say that? I assume you know the answer. I assume you know my answer to that. Yeah. Um, Well, I don't, I don't like the term um, particularly, and that's, that's just a completely personal thing. It just so happens that because I don't like it and I, publish other people's books that I try to avoid using it to describe the people's books that I publish. Um, But I think it's, for me, it's, it's a personal issue that I have with it that I can attribute to if you would indulge a bit of biographical background uh, for the whatever let's say 15 years that i was writing um without being on social media and even knowing that anyone else was writing (laughs) stuff anymore um i spent some time in local writers crit groups and i maybe talked about this with you before but um it was a really 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 awful experience because those writers crit groups typically are, you know, people trying to develop the next Harry Potter or the next Gillian Flynn or, you know, uh, writing marketable work. And I went into it thinking, hey, you know, everyone here is a writer and that's a positive thing. We all are doing our things. They're, they're, probably going on different tangents and i saw myself as being you know as as similar yet as different as the person who is writing the historical roman uh fantasy novel or whatever was to the person writing the dark thriller then i saw platts as being you know just another lobe of that thing and 
what I came to realize was that even though that type of work that I was doing has been part of the conversation of literature for 140 years or something, that it is seen as an other practice, a different practice. And so I feel like my experience in that crit, those two crit groups that I was part of, where that term was used, it was used pejoratively and dismissively um, as seen, seen as having no way to evaluate its success because it wasn't based on the set of rules that was born out of Zola's perspective on literature of how to depict reality in a legible and encapsulated way. Um, and I think the depiction is the key thing there uh, for him. And I know that when he says experimental novel in his essay, he's not talking about an experiment a linguistic experiment, which I think people refer to experimental literature now being, but he was referring to almost a social experiment of, you know, placing characters in a literary context and psychologically exploring their interactions with each other. Um, so more like a Stanford prison experiment than <laughs> a like William Burroughs cutting up the newspaper experiment. Mm -hmm. So that's one half of it. I guess the other half of it is that I just kind of see it as, as seems like an easy criticism to level at things. And um, I guess getting into how one writes that kind of work and how one reads it, which are your other topics that you want to get at, I think I would then unpack why I think people are wrong in leveling that easy accusation at, at work like this. At the same time, I feel like the it's not really like a descriptive term at this point. It feels like anything that's like slightly off kilter gets the experimental label and works that have almost entirely nothing to do with each other like continuing on that Zola idea, works that are experimenting or like taking unconventional approaches to completely different things, like linguistically experimenting versus socially experimenting, whatever that means in the Zola capacity. Um, I feel like the inside the castle category of work or the, the work that's kind of under the umbrella of a lot of what John publishes, um, some term like object oriented or um, like object centered feels more appropriate it feels like we need like a term that's more descriptive of the type of work going on um it doesn't feel like experimental really does much to tell you about the book itself yeah i agree with that because i mean people can call anything whatever they want and the one thing i just i think we all agree that we dislike that term but for me the biggest uh talking point is the sort of umbrella coding effect it has on every work that falls under the definition of experimental writing. So going with what Mike was saying, I mean, when, when you tell a lay person, somebody who isn't involved in any type of writing, when you tell them that you are writing experimental literature or you're reading something that is considered experimental, 
uh, what they're thinking about most likely has nothing to do with the work that you or other people, I guess, that are labeled as that are doing. So it is too broad. Um, and I remember last year, I think it was almost a year ago. Yeah, it was on uh, May 30th of 2020 on Twitter. I posted a very controversial uh, tweet uh, where I said, I believe experimental literature in general is very bad. Uh, and I got 60 likes, but then I got 100 DMs. <laughs> Basically, uh, people, I think that's the most blocks I've gotten in one weekend because there were people who were having these active conversations with me and I was responding. And then on Monday, I'd be like, oh, I, I want to add something to that conversation. Oh, I can't see their profile anymore. <laughs> um, and I think it was one of those situations where people thought I was going to back down or just agree with them, but I wasn't agreeing with anyone when they were saying, um, my argument at that time was that when you say you are writing experimental literature, it kind of gives you a crutch where if you are not an experienced writer or you don't really know what you're doing, it kind of gives you that free pass to do whatever you want, which doesn't always work. And I'm not saying that everything that does what it wants has to have a theme or some type of goal, but it's nice to know that the person doing it did it for a reason and it's not just random. Um, and that was the argument I was having with most people. And it seems it was a lot of younger writers saying that I was acting as a sort of gatekeeper, saying no one's allowed to come into this domain, which is mine, which I never claimed. But it was interesting hearing that because I've said this before and I always say it, my favorite thing about writing is the discussions you can have with readers and writers alike. Um, so I enjoyed all those conversations, but it seems like I said that a lot of people were very upset at me. And I think to this day, a lot of them still have me blocked, which is fine. <laughs> But I think I might post a part two to that tweet very soon. Good. Yeah, and I feel like there's a, like a certain appeal initially to that label of experimental because it feels like it provides a lot of freedom um, that you can kind of like it, the doors open, you can do whatever you want. But again, it it feels like, as you said, it's a bit unhinged or like it's not confined enough, in my opinion. It's it kind of is like a an uncontrolled or like unengaging chaos a lot of the time in that regard when you're kind of strictly limited to that label. Um, Cause I've also seen a lot of work from newer writers that it's kind of how you described where it's this kind of disconnected, um, like not yet realized kind of mishmash of styles and ideas. Whereas I feel like a lot of the work that I would, I kind of see that's getting called experimental or that kind of fits in the umbrella of kind of this, I guess, community or genre, whatever kind of label we want to give it is very kind of directly has a project or an idea or concept that it's approaching. And that kind of formal um, kind of flux or unconventionality um, is to aid that kind of central idea or concept um, that it's trying to approach. Um, I like that, uh, like label of theory fiction a lot that's been popping up recently that also seems to be very kind of wide reaching but the idea of the the text as this thing that's engaging specifically with a, a school of thought or a kind of a thesis rather than necessarily a, a narrative. Mm, yeah, the the idea of experimental, um, it seems like the word actually gets lost in the term. Like, what is the experiment that you're conducting here? And I guess that's why I like to use it with uh, certain types of pieces that you know are either yours or adjacent to yours because a lot of time I can kind of like get what that thesis is and it's like okay here are the parameters you know what if I wrote a book and it's 
you know, there's three paragraphs on each page and they mirror each other. And like, so there's, you know, the Platt's experiment sort of, um, but it also, you know, to round out the circle, uh, anything that's just kind of weird is experimental. Surreal has the same sort of like lack of effect these days too, to me. Yeah, I think that the one thing that I have noticed is that there's also a a cross uh, wiring of what the content of the work is with what the the intellectual goal of the work is, and I think a lot of people see certain types of content as being easier to lump in with that category as well. I don't quite know what transgressive writing is. Oh God, yeah, that's another one. <laughs> a lot of people might like um, cross those wires. Um, and I, I personally see like the inside the cattle inside the castle catalog as being not of a particular content orientation or, or like category or, or type of, um, voice but a variety of different um approaches to that that project and you know I, looking at the books behind me i realize or have been aware that i wrote the most basic one <laughs> that i published which was apparitions of the living which is just like a pretty just a straight up novel um and then there's you two characters who have some of the most batshit books that I have published. Um, so I think it, it really runs across a wide range. And I think that really what, what it comes down to is that the, the naturalist project that does not allow you to continue to understand how to depict reality or create reality through a book, which I think was what was happening prior to Zola in someone like Lawrence Stern or Cervantes or, you know, those kinds of characters or um, romantics uh, in the 19th century trying to understand what was possible expressively in a book that Zola's crowd kind of put the fork in. And then that, that tangent that they started just became almost the entirety of literature, you know, through Hemingway and, and all of those fuckers that, you know, blossomed through the 20th century is, is now what is seen as the given mode of representation in literature and doesn't allow for exploration of what a book is, is trying to contribute to the conversation of how we view reality. So yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe it is an experiment then. I just, I just don't like the word. I, I, I have a question for you, John. I already know the answer, but I'm asking this for, for people who 
don't know because I, I have a follow-up to the answer you're about to give. But uh, John, in your estimation or in the estimation of the press inside the castle, what is a book as a physical object? What is, what's the definition for that? And what is the purpose of having a book as a physical object that sits on a table as opposed to on the Kindle device or as an audio book? Um, well, What do you what do you think my answer is? I I don't know. Um, <laughs> it has a lot of things. It's it's for one, it has a a cultural situation for us in terms of um, how we interact with it. The same as the situation that we have in relation to a fork or a spoon or a hat or something like that, we understand it as a mechanism through which our body relates to the physical world. Um, so it, it has an objectness, just like all of those things. I think furthermore to that is its, its structure of being bound together in a sequence that exists all at once, whether you are interacting with it all at once or not. And that's the thing that an audiobook does not do or a Kindle book does not do is that those things, those moments that are that are present in a book at all times on each page existing all at once don't exist all at once in those other media. Um, and I think that just the, those basic definitions are what I'm interested in exploring the possibilities of. And I, I've thought a lot lately about, like, is Inside the Castle really doing that? And I don't know. I mean, I think that the whole world of art books and things like that are much more invested in that than I am. What I'm interested in is how literature itself, which is words printed in that book on those pages, take advantage of that. Not just like, how do I take advantage of what the book form is, but how do I take advantage of what the function of words on those pages is and what they're capable of doing because of what a book is. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought you were going to say, as, as I said. Um, no, but the, the reason I asked you that is because I remember we had a pretty extensive conversation in real life about this. And I was just nodding along the whole time because I was, A, dumbfounded that someone else thought the same thing that I thought about books as physical objects. Um, but also, B, I thought that from what I had seen on, from the output of Inside the Castle at the time was exactly what you were saying. Um, sure art books and photography books and other books that fall beneath, I guess, that coffee table book aspect, their their purpose um, is to occupy that space. So they, they go to great lengths to stand out in that sense. But I think that if you were to say that uh, books from inside the castle that are available on other websites where you can buy regular books that are not concerned about looking a certain way when they're made physical. I think that Inside the Castle stands out just for the very, um, for the fact that uh, not only is there always a mission for each release to 
occupy a, a, a space within someone's home and serve a purpose, but also the fact of how involved you yourself are with every release. You know, it's not one of those situations where you either let the author figure out what they're going to do for the visuals and the layout or hire somebody externally, but you're also in, as involved as you need to be. If they don't want you to do it, you don't do it. If they don't have any resources to do it, you offer your resources, which I think is very interesting in the sense that it kind of creates this cohesive look, whether it means that the books, they don't all look the same, but you can tell that there's a certain hand that's been put in there. Um, and the great point that I'm getting at here, the reason why I asked that question is because um, I had a conversation with Joe about my, uh, my dislike for online literature, just for the sense that it's so fleeting. I'll read something tomorrow and then it's gone the next week for whatever reason and I can never read it again. Or the website goes down after five years and I can never read that text again. Some people might like that, you know, that, that aspect where it's never, it's not forever, whereas the book is forever. And the fact that uh, if you're writing something to be published, you go through a lot of steps. You go through a lot of uh, checks, I guess, for yourself where, you know, you realize this is forever. People are going to be reading this. People are going to have this in their bookshelves. So you think differently as opposed to something that you can just create in two minutes and send to a website and then it just goes on there. Um, and I know that this is potentially a controversial claim I'm making right now. Um, and a lot of people might argue that they could never be published because there are too many, too many moving parts involved. Um, but generally from what I've seen since I've been alive, I tend to prefer the written physical word as opposed to these online whatevers that are happening lately and that are going to continue happening for the next however many years. I think it's important to view those as different mediums in my eyes. Like I, I feel like I'm at the point personally where I know ahead of time if I want something to be published like online or in print, thinking of print not necessarily as like a collection of the things I publish online. But I think very much the book is like, it's not so much written as it is assembled. Like that writing is only one facet of it. Like if you look at the uh, like front matter of an Inside the Castle book, you immediately see like the typeface, for example. Um, like there's all these like little moving parts, but they all contribute to how that text is framed. Um, from like the design and layout to like the actual words on the page. But for like the digital medium itself, I feel like people tend to just write something in a Word document and then have that published online, which I think the frustration for me there is that it feels like you're very much underutilizing the medium. Like there's kind of this, the, the book is this like, not necessarily passive, but static object. It doesn't necessarily change with each encounter. It has this kind of autonomous, um, like isolated presence versus the like digital as this much more kind of accessible capability to change with each viewing, like X, Y, Z, Z, Y, you're always crashing piece, how like certain variables will and adjectives and nouns will change with each kind of like run through it. And so I feel like my frustration with digital writing is it doesn't really feel exclusively or even specifically digital. Well, and you know, the reason I did ask that is I, I forgot to mention in my long speech I just gave, because uh, I know that you have a lot of online pieces, whether they're reviews or poems or short fiction, and you also have written text uh, that's published physically. So that the response you gave, I really appreciate because you're, you are correct. Um, I do feel that it's underutilized in the sense that there's so much that you can do. Um, so much that, uh, yeah, whenever I decide for whatever crazy reason I'm going to release something online, to me, there's always some interesting, unique aspect of it that I either haven't seen anyone else do, or it's something that I know I could never do if it was printed physically, which is why I'm using the online medium to do that. Um, and yes, I, I 
I completely dislike the idea of just writing something in Word or um, Notepad and then just sending it off and then it's just copy pasted on a website because it's it's just too easy. Um, and there's a time and place for that. But I think that there's so much more that we can be doing that people are not, and people that I know can do it are just not trying to do it for you know xyz reason um i just i just hope that more of that starts happening um because it's really 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 interesting when someone does something unique and new online that you've never seen done and it just makes you think wow how can i build upon that or what can i do to add to this you know totally and it feels like um i kind of go back and forth because in a review sense i feel i can definitely see and obviously like kind of experience the appeal of that online publishing in the sense of like accessibility and immediacy that it like becomes this direct and immediate assistance to a book that they've highlighted and having kind of gained that traffic in that way but in terms of like uh work that is more like specifically digital it feels like um it's like even thinking of like minute differences within a medium within the digital like web page versus something like um like hysterically real word uh, they're kind of like approaching the PDF specifically as a form um, and viewing like kind of as an alternative scanning, looking at scrolling, um, kind of that like rapid downward movement through a text. And so, yeah, I feel like there's just that kind of Word doc or just like text file pasted online. Um, of course, I've done it before, but there's so much more of an appeal and like excitement to those uniquely online works. I will say, jumping in here <clears throat> at my own defense, what Michael is describing is all I have done for the last <laughs> four and a half years. Um, but <laughs> my uh, my approach or my, my thought process there uh, is that those texts will never be seen in print in that way because what I'm what I'm dumping from a notepad file uh, is something that's going to be devoured by a book eventually that you will never see it intact again. So there's kind of a an alternative thought there that you know something that you're you're working on that will just end up in print later as part of a short story collection with no difference to it. Yeah, that's kind of a different animal, but I think that the idea of the book facilitates uh, not actually contain the text that ends up online is maybe a, a flip side to that. Hmm. There's a, a quick point I want to make about that. Um, and it, this is great because we all do very different things in this very topic, which I think is great for discussion. Um, but my question to what you, a follow-up to what you just said is, um, so, you know, you, you, I know you, you're posting snippets from the text that's currently called Massive that's going to come out sometime this decade. Uh, my question to you is when it eventually comes out, are you going to do the thing that everyone else does where at the beginning of the book you're going to say, this was posted on this website, this was posted on this website, this was posted on this website, or are you going to do away with all that and just act as if this is the first time anyone is seeing any of these parts of the text? You know, I, I have thought about that a lot, um, and I, I don't know. I'm not going to do that, which you described. Um, it's on my website, so I guess if someone wanted to look at that, they'd find it. What I have thought about is, could there be a notepad file that has all of those attributions in it in a fictionalized 
contexts um, that then gets distributed throughout the book as well. Now, now we're getting experimental. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, the, the, the re that's a great point because the the scenario I gave out, um, I've actually seen arguments between people online where they will buy a book that's come out from an author that they really like, and then they feel betrayed when they read portions that they've read somewhere else. And in the beginning, there's no disclaimer saying this was on this website beforehand. And I just do not understand that. Um, I don't feel the author owes it to anyone to say, yeah, I'm sorry that, you know, this was at one point a short story and it developed into a, a book or it was a portion of the book. And I just didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to, it wasn't going to end up in the, there are so many different reasons it probably ended in the final product, but I just find it interesting when readers get very upset because they feel like they're betrayed by the by the writer because they were not told hey you probably saw this somewhere else so just move along or be ready of what to be you know just accept what you're seeing because i know that uh you've posted parts of massive on probably i think five different places john and uh he's read part of I, it on this podcast too there you go so there's so many different areas and places that people have already seen this but i think also with your particular text just because of the size of it I know for myself, just because of what you've told me and what you're anticipating to be like, I'm not going to remember that I heard you read that or that I read a portion of it because it's, I'm going to get to a point when I'm reading through it, you know, I'm on page 3,476 and I'm just like, uh, this sounds familiar, but you know, I, I, I just read 3,000 pages. I don't really remember anything else. Um, and I think that uh, whenever this comes out, just this history that we've just laid out for, and I've also, I've seen you in real time working on it too, which was very interesting for me because I kind of saw, I got to see, a, I got a glimpse of how you work sometimes, especially for that particular thing. Um, but I think that just for yourself, when this comes out, it's just gonna be such a chronicle of all the different things you've gone through as a writer, because you've been working on this for so long. Um, and what you brought up about the notepad being distributed uh, in a fictional sense, I think is very interesting. And I'm just hoping nobody steals that idea from you before Massive comes out. <laughs> but on the other hand of that, um, M. Kitchell's uh, Experimental Men is produced largely of pieces that had appeared somewhere else in either the same or different form. And I, as a reader, um, I didn't feel betrayed by it, um, but there there was a sense of like loss to it, of like, I'm never going to get my hands on all of those pamphlets and zines and pdfs or whatever and then like be able to go through and see what was changed and what wasn't um and it makes that book feel like fixed in its bookness um because like the words were ephemeral and transitory before and now they're in the book uh especially since he says at the end of it, like, I'm done with these ideas and these pieces and like, I'm moving on to something completely different. Um, uh, so all of what you've said, uh, plus that like, uh, makes the book object, uh, feel quite meaningful in its, like, it feels like it must be an end state sometimes. I'm I am in love with how this conversation is going because it's every single edition is leading to a next point and M Kitchell is a great example of that uh, because 
I don't know if everyone realizes this now, but Solar Luxuriance, uh, the, the press, I guess, that he was running for a long time, had all these PDFs and pamphlets that were available for free um, towards the end. Or I guess after the a certain text would sell out physically, he would just make the, the, the PDF available for free. But anyway, the website actually shut down, I think, last week. Oh, yeah, and it's not I, up now. It's not. Yeah, I put a. I think I put a thing on Twitter telling everyone to download all these things before it went away. And I've gotten a couple DMs now. People said, "Oh, I forgot. I didn't do it. Do you still have these?" And now I have this dilemma because if it was M. Kitchell's desire to close down this website and the people didn't download the PDF, am I a hacker pirate if I create this Dropbox with all the PDFs? Am I allowed to do that? Because I haven't done that yet. But it just brings that interesting uh, question up because what you said with experimental men, it's all these pamphlets that you can no longer have, but they've all been put together in this one text where now you finally have access to it and it, it just creates a whole new sense to the book. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's just, it's an interesting concept right there with all these different things. Cause I think that any writer at this point who's been writing for maybe the last couple of years has posted either parts of a book they're working on or short stories on some type of medium or website. So they eventually come to that point where they either release a compilation of all those things or it's just extensions of that in a book. So then you ask yourself, do you put a disclaimer in there or do you not? And also, and also just as a final point, M. Kitchell's uh, moved from you know doing more of what he was doing for the last couple of years. And I, I think now he's doing more of a performance type style of writing or literature or media. One of you or all of you might know more that, more about this than what I'm talking about, but I know that uh, he said that he's gonna be doing things very differently and he's doing a lot of video work lately. Um, and I thought that meant the end of writing for him, but it sounds like it's not, it's just gonna be a very different style of writing um, unless I'm completely misunderstanding that. And it seems like, I know he recently started um a phonics space which seems very like photography oriented so i think there's this building connection between like the strictly visual or like mechanical art with writing which i find really interesting um i've only had a chance to read one of the books from that um press that he started but it seems like a very kind of specific project that he's moving towards with those two kind of mediums in conversation but thinking about um this idea of kind of marking Kind of the source of each piece of writing within a book um, i find really interesting because it's i find it almost impossible a lot of the time because putting together a book i tend to kind of pick kind of chunks and pieces out of other shorter pieces that i'd been working on beforehand almost as these like preliminary steps before the book begins um so the idea of having to trace back where a lot of these random like sentences or short passages come from sounds like this like incredibly grueling investigative process that I have no interest in doing. Um, and it kind of connects to something I noticed in your work, Mike, of kind of creating these portals between different projects, um, these recurring like phrases across books almost as this form of like world building that I find really compelling and seems increasingly kind of present in the space. Um, I feel like I've noted in a bit or a bit of like M. Kitchell's work and a little bit of Never Angeline North's work. Yeah, the um, I mean, the world building, it just as a definition or as a term is is a very complicated term for me, because John mentioned uh, something very early on when he was doing those workshops with other writers who were trying to become this next sort of, uh, you know, brand for whatever type of literature they were trying to do. Whenever I hear the term world building, it just makes me think of 
I don't know, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, where it's this extensive universe. So then if someone, you know, if someone uses that term to describe something I'm writing, I think that someone who's never read my work immediately thinks, oh, it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a series of books. He has eight books in the same universe, which it's not exactly like that, but you're absolutely right where a lot of recurring themes or characters or moments appear again. And that's not something that was planned out. Um, and this is one of the topics you at, you were telling us to think about Joe, uh, you know, how do we approach writing? Right. So for me, and I'll make this brief cause I tend to ramble a lot about this. Um, it, it, I feel like I'm just some sort of vessel where I will go long periods of time. And this is, I've become, I guess, infamous for this. And John is probably going to chuckle, but you know, as soon as I got done with lonely men club, I was destroyed. I, I was no longer a human. And that was the, that was part of it. That's why you're the inside the castle freak, you know, you're not, you're going through this process that you shouldn't be going through. And yes, it only lasted five days, but it really broke me. And I wasn't able to do anything for a long time. And uh, yeah, John kept asking me if I was fine and I was lying saying I was, but I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but then eventually he realized I wasn't. And I said, no, I'll get better. I'll get better. So just by him checking in on me, made me better. And now I'm back. Uh, and um, I was telling Joe this a while back, or I guess two weeks ago, is that I, what I do is I, um, I'm not, I never sit and do nothing. I'm always absorbing some type of media, whether it's a film or just walking outside and hearing the noises I hear or listening to music. And if something particular, you know, interests me, I'll, I'll, I'll make a note of it. Um, but what I've been doing a lot lately is I don't write anything down. I just absorb it all. And if it's important enough, it's gonna come back later. It's gonna manifest itself somehow. So I take all this in and then recently, um, I just started getting all these ideas and I would do something and then I'm like, I'll just write for an hour. And then five hours later, I'm still writing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you all know this, but uh, I've, I've, I've talked about this sometimes on Twitter where I will write 10,000 words and I'll cut that down to 1.6K words. That's usually what I do. So I do not filter myself when I'm doing the first draft. I just do everything. And then I wait a couple of weeks and then I go back and I literally delete whatever does not appeal to me in that moment. And I, and I save, I save it over the original draft. So I can't, it's not draft number four or five. I just delete it all. So I can never go back to it. And then the idea behind that as well is if it was interesting enough and it's something I deleted that wants to come back later, it'll come back in four years if it needs to. Um, so it's kind of like a spiritual sense, I guess, which I'm not very, I'm not really into that type of stuff, but uh, the way I write is very much, that type of writing where I just let things flow through me and I go with a feeling. Um, and then of course, you know, story structure, if you want to include that in your work, you can do that later on with the edits. But for me, it's mostly about feel. And if I do not feel hundred percent confident that what I'm writing is something I am happy with, it doesn't come out. Even if it's 99% okay, I don't release it. Um, and um, something I'm, I'm, I'm coming to terms with now recently is, trying to do more online stuff, <laughs> even though I just literally said I hate it all. Um, but the main reason for that is because a lot of people do not have the money to be buying books. And also if they have $20 for a book, they don't know if they're going to like that book. And it's very hard to tell someone that you spoke to on Twitter. I, you know, I, it wasn't for me. Can I, can I get those $20 back? So I totally get it. And you know, the one way to, to get around that is put some online work out there so people can read it for free. And if they like, if you release 10 things and they like those 10 things, then most chances are they're going to like that one book they can buy for $20. So I completely get that. 
Um, my other way of working around that is I do these stupid $5 sales every four months or five months where I'll just sell any of my books for $5 and it lasts for three days. And the response behind those has actually been overwhelming. I didn't realize that people were interested, but maybe they're not. Maybe it's just, you see $5 for a book. It doesn't matter what book it is. It's I'm sold. Um, it's free shipping as well, by the way, uh, I might, I should do one next weekend. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's how I approach writing. It's just, it's more of a, I'm an empty vessel. I let the things come into me. I manifest them on paper and then we go from there. Yeah, I have a similar approach. I like the uh, like idea of like evoking the muses, I feel like is the way I describe it, of it just flows through you. I tend to try and kind of engender that process with a lot of very kind of either like noise music or avant jazz or something kind of disruptive and manic to kind of put me in that certain state. Um, particularly interested in this kind of like accumulation of data or like massive information. Like I like this kind of, um, it's just very dense uh, kind of presentation of ideas and images and settings, all of that. Um, and I feel like using that kind of flow or flow state um, really kind of emboldens that process. Um, but I actually kind of over the last couple of titles have started coming up with the page dimensions before writing the book, almost kind of trying to frame it as an object before I get started. Like um, Ganymede, the book that I just had come out before I even kind of started writing the book, I had determined it's going to be four and a quarter by seven and it's going to be approximately like 120 to 150 pages long. Like there's a very kind of ideal set of dimensions that I have in mind before approaching and that kind of, not only guides the project, but then informs kind of how I want to design it and um, kind of like what ideas I want to approach in that kind of given space. Um, I've kind of, I want to say over the last three titles have made the book from start to finish in InDesign, which feels very antithetical to like the flow of writing because of the way you have to kind of individually create each text box. Um, Cause I tend to avoid using masters to um, mm. kind of, design flow emboldened there's something very useful about um knowing what the book is going to look like as you write it um mm -hmm. I, I just finished today a manuscript and i did the same thing that that you talk about mike where i decided the page dimensions i decided the page color um margins and everything and the first book I ever wrote, I wrote in Scrivener and I did the scroll mode where there's no page uh, like marks at all. It's just full screen, just go and write. Um, and that's freeing in, in kind of a similar way, but a different way. Like there was no sort of um, like rhythm. Whereas when you know this is going to be the last line on this page, there's a uh, like a tempo to the writing. Yeah, there's a temporal element to kind of writing in that style. You know how much time kind of approximately each page has in relation to those around it. Um, and especially I've been working on a project or revamping a project recently that is in like 20 point font. Um, and so like knowing that going in and the page size of like five by eight, I can like guesstimate like how quickly people are moving through it and like how I can distort that duration um, according to like that page. And so maybe another section will be in like eight point or something a lot smaller 
and like centralized in the middle of the page in a small box. And so there's this way that that kind of having that frame in mind also allows you to manipulate the temporal elements of the reading process. Which reminds me of uh, Peripatet, sort of, where each page spread is the essay, and just however big or small you need to make it to fill that spread. Um, I can't remember, John, was that a, a you thing or a him thing? I remember talking about how you had a lot of input in, like, in uh, Gag, how that was designed and the redactions and whatnot. Yeah, I think I... Think I proposed that <clears throat> for Peripatet. I mean, he sent me a manuscript that was all of the stuff that you see in there, um, but it had page breaks. And I don't know, I, I have a hard time when books um, don't, they don't fit on the page like in a in a holistic way con consistently and uh, I was talking with I guess spoiler alert Logan Barry about a book that I'm working on with them and was saying you know imagine you're printing out all the pages and putting them out in front of you and seeing them all at once and what does it look like then <clears throat> and that was something that I was struggled with with Peripatet because, you know, like one page had two words on it and another page had <laughs> uh, 5,000 words on it. So I don't know, at some point I just said, what if we just make every single chunk of this book its own spread and just, you know, zoom in and out as needed. And then all the other stuff of like when something would go across the gutter or not was other stuff. But yeah, I, I, I wanted to envision the book as having a, a unifying texture because the contents were so drastically different. And as a, as a writer myself, that is something I'm very, very uncomfortable with. I can't work like that. Grant has taught me a lot about um, being open to those different voices that, I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna say that I have changed the way I work, but I, I feel comfort level with that. But I, I would tend to gravitate more towards work that is more seamless um, than he produces. So maybe it was kind of my attempt of wrangling <laughs> the chaos of what he is capable of producing into the more seamless type of presentation that I'm more comfortable with. Okay, so let's move on into uh, my curiosity with how all of you consume this sort of work. Because John, I know, has sort of a, I don't know, I guess the extra burden of reading a lot of it with the the publisher's eye um but there's i think one of the things that that keeps people from reading stuff like this is you know i don't feel smart enough to read it 
I don't, I don't understand what's going on. I feel like, you know, I should have read some sort of uh, PhD level essay beforehand. And, uh, you know, it goes beyond just like the David Lynch, like, I don't quite get what he's doing. I don't like it because it's gross sort of thing. I, that that really pisses me off when I hear that. And not because I'm pissed at the person who's saying it. I'm pissed at the the context of how literature is marketed to people um, that makes them feel like they need to say that about it. <clears throat> it really makes me angry. And I think that there's a couple things going on there. One of them is that a person probably needs to understand that they have some onus in the situation of reading that there's some labor to be done on their end. And that's not especially enjoyable to a lot of people. Um, it's not that they're not smart enough. It's that they, they don't have that interest in their reading practice to want to um, take a personal position in how they read. I have a personal position in how I read that I would imagine is very different from Michael's or Mike's or yours. Um, and I think that that is wonderful that everyone reads in a different way. You just need to be able to indulge in that, that practice of reading when you're reading an Inside the Castle book or whatever, um, because it's incumbent on you to participate in it. And that's not a new concept. And it's, you know, Umberto Eco wrote about it with Superman comics. And, you know, to, to the, the extent that it has been applied to all different sorts of um, types of output. But I think that reading <clears throat> experimental work, let's call it, um, it, it, it is troublesome to people because it positions itself in a way that they, they are aware that they have to do that work. Anything else that they read, they're still doing that work. They just are lulled into the belief that they're not participating, even though they still are. Um, so I find that really frustrating. I think the other thing that frustrates me about it is that the stuff that I publish and the stuff that I'm interested in reading, I feel like I care about because it doesn't matter whether I understand it or not. I mean, I've, I've taken to mostly either these days reading, uh, I don't know, novelizations of 70s horror movies or uh, uh, peer-reviewed articles about topology and string theory that I don't understand at all. And to me, what is exciting about both of those things is that I get to decide what I want to engage it for and on what level and why. And the more conventional work that you see out there uh, that's invested in clarity and um, consumability and I'll call it craft uh, as the, the euphemism for, um, you know, short sentences and, and clear language. 
that to me is the opposite. It, it robs or it's, its form or its intent robs the reader of the ability to be a reader and to be a person who experiences the work. And to me, that's the more egotistical form of writing because it insists on imposing the, the writer's absolute word and perspective on the reader rather than giving the reader a, a place to be and decide how they want to occupy it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of, there's this kind of assumption that a book is a riddle um, that I really despise. Like you have to solve it or there's a certain way you have to kind of like unlock the meaning where personally, I really don't give a shit what the author intended. Um, I'm more similar to John and there to get out of it what I decide to get out of it. Um, there's like a fun Deleuze quote um, that I don't remember verbatim, but it's along the lines of like, I hope you misread my book so you have your own idea of what the book is. And that creates more ideas to create more books. Like I like this uh, idea of proliferating via misunderstanding um, or not even misunderstanding, but alternative understandings. Because um, a lot of commercial or conventional or however we want to label them books uh, tend to put the author in this like kind of totalitarian or like all powerful dictatorial position that I find completely uninteresting. Um, it makes the book this incredibly like unmoving static object that only exists in one way. Whereas I want to encounter the book as an object that is kind of amorphous um, depending on who it encounters. Yeah, I guess I have sort of an appreciation for any book that ends up being released through a press because I know that it went through several processes to get to that point. And as you both have said, whether I understand it or I do not, doesn't matter. Um, because going back to my own writing, if I'm at a discussion and somebody asks me what a particular passage refers to or what it's supposed to mean, uh, I may I may or may not remember what I was thinking at the time, but I definitely have an answer I can give for that passage. But then I always say that my saying or telling what it is is not necessarily going to make more sense of the story or it's not necessarily going to help the story. And I always like to ask the reader what they got out of it. And if they, whenever someone says nothing, that's not true. There's always something that you're thinking. And I just want to hear what that is. Uh, mostly for the sense that I did, I, I've not had your life experience. So I'd like to learn more from you. You could argue that I use literature as a vessel to learn more about other people, just to have discussions with them. But personally for myself, as far as digesting this sort of work, yeah, it's, there's no way that all three of us would be able to understand every type of, and I put this in quotes, experimental literature that comes out for the next 10 years. It's, we can't. For me, it's mostly about when you read something and you can tell that there's a, I, I, I hate to use the word purpose again, but there's a feel that you can get when you're reading something, even if you don't necessarily understand what it means, um, what it's actually supposed to mean, if anything, you can feel that there's something there. And then however that affects you, I think is what is, the most powerful thing about this type of literature. And that's what I like most uh, about it, um, which leads me to a point where I know that uh, back in the old days when you had to submit to reviews and they were physical reviews that were, you know, the whatever review that came out quarterly, there was always the joke that the only people reading these reviews are the people who submitted for that quarter or for that, for that publication. And my question these days is, you know, with, with Twitter and Instagram and all the other types of social media, whenever you have a writer who is 
either working on something or releasing something and then they have this huge following or you know 47 likes for this uh, I sometimes look at the likes and it's I notice that a lot of those likes are from other writers or up and coming writers and I say okay of course you know it's you're supporting the network you're supporting your your peers whatever uh, but then I always wonder the people who aren't interested in writing, who just purely like reading, you don't hear a lot from them. You, you could argue that you have people who like to review these sorts of texts or they like to, like you, Joe, they like to talk about them, but you've also started writing recently. Um, so now you no longer belong in that group. Now you're also a writer. Uh, so my thing is, are there people out there who are just purely readers and who love to engage with this? Or is everyone an up and coming writer? Um, and if they are, is that a byproduct of this type of literature? Because for me, when it's really good, it makes you want to write. And I'm just, is, 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 it, kind of, is it kind of a double-edged sword where by consuming this over and over, you eventually are going to write, whether you like it or not? Yeah. It reminds I, me of, uh, go ahead, oh, John. go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, it reminds me of that line about, I think it's about the Pixies, where not a lot of people listen to them, but everyone who listened to them started a band. Right, yeah. <laughs> totally. And I feel like um, there's, it, I feel like primarily that seems to be the case with this kind of work, because it seems like a lot of people just get excited that it's not, like it's a kind of different experience than a lot of the books that they've encountered beforehand, whether that's through like school or recommendations from friends or whatever. But I do, I kind of had an interesting conversation with two or three separate friends who don't, um, one's a painter and the other um, is an illustrator. Um, and so they don't really do any type of like writing um, and they don't really read much, but for some reason there's something about like this kind of type of work that engages them and makes them kind of interested in reading it um, that I find really compelling as like this kind of demographic of people that aren't working in this uh, zone. Um, and one of them had told me that um, they had previously like had a lot of issues with like suffering from like dissociative episodes and like something about this kind of work um, reminds them of it, not necessarily in like a bad way, but almost in like this nostalgic way that it is like this experiential quality um, to these like object centered or design oriented like works. And I find that really interesting. Mm. Yeah, I'll say to to Michael's point, um, like the only reason I wrote Tired is because I accidentally found There Is No Year by Blake Butler while I was in college. Like, I had, there were so many times I had to put it down and try to write something because I couldn't focus on the words because I was too excited. Like, beyond that, um, I guess I probably would have written something and tried to get it, like, picked up under like the forgotten realms license or something but beyond that it was just like cormac mccarthy was pretty cool maybe i can try to write like cormac mccarthy and then there is no year so mark blake butler down on your writing the rapids bingo cards because we got him again but um yeah I, w I would love to hear from somebody who doesn't write and just reads and primarily reads this type of thing I know of maybe, I don't know, I can think of offhand like three or four people that I interact with through Inside the Castle that are in that um, category, but not a lot. Although I think that there are a lot of people who are not writing work that I would align with what I'm doing 
who seem open to it. There's also a lot who are hostile to it for the reasons that we've discussed. Right. Um, Mike Correo's point about uh, people treating this type of thing like a riddle to be solved. I almost want to blame that on um, House of Leaves because House of <laughs> Leaves is a riddle to be solved. Um, and I know not everyone here has read it, but it's such a like cultural object that whenever somebody um, mentions experimental writing, I feel like anyone who has read it or heard about it is like, oh, the thing with the weird typography and like, you know, you got to turn the book upside down to read it sort of thing. And I guess it's kind of sad in a way. Like, I'm glad that book exists because you can point to it um, and be like, you said you didn't like reading, but you read that because you saw the Nightmind YouTube video. Like, there is an entire world that looks and feels like this that doesn't, you know, require you to watch a three-hour-long YouTube video series to know what's real or whatever. Well, I, I would say that in, in my own work and then things that I try to look for to publish and given that you two cats are part of that and I'm, I don't want to mischaracterize what you do, but I'm interested in things that <clears throat> do potentially function that way. Um, that that there is something there um, underlying that noise. And I think that I, I feel that way because I don't know how to go about making work if you as the maker do not have a really robust framework for putting everything together and for how you approach that project. Um, and I think that comes from my architecture background and that the, the process of conceiving of designing, documenting and getting a building constructed involves a tremendous amount of unseen labor that is incredibly meticulous, but the process of going to a building and desperately needing to take a shit in their toilet and then just leaving again does not involve <laughs> any any intellectual labor whatsoever. Um, so I, I think I'm fascinated by that duality that a good piece of work cannot exist without that riddle as mike called it this this underlying foundation that is catalyzing the work on the author's end um but that if goal should not be to lay that riddle bare or to um exhaust you with that riddle but to simply exist as a thing um so that if you as a reader want to read every tenth word and zone out or start in the middle of the book or read a couple pages every few weeks or as in Michael's book that will be coming out next year, uh, you are forced to read it in multiple sittings. 
uh, for a reason you will discuss when you see it. Um, <laughs> that's perfectly okay. And that you don't need to have to cling to these bits of information like you're in fucking National Treasure or something trying to <laughs> <laughs> put everything together because it doesn't matter. What does it matter? You know, it doesn't matter to me as the writer. Um, what mattered to me was my ability to understand it all while I was doing it, not someone else's ability to piece it back together. Yeah, I think with the kind of like the riddle description, my concern is primarily like the hierarchy um, of it, where it's like the author's meaning should not be more um, important or more, I guess, valid than other interpretations. Um, I think Absolutely. the like book as riddle, it's like um, the issue with the book as riddle is that it seems like a riddle only has one answer um, versus uh, this kind of like um, accumulation of and kind of going back to that term of like theory fiction or like theory driven um, writing um, that I find appealing is that there is this set of like ideas or concepts or concerns within the book that hold it together. Um, but there's not this kind of like singular um, outcome of what those ideas can produce. Yeah. Um, and what you said, John, is is very interesting in terms of the labor that's involved behind something. You know, you could have a book that's four pages long and it took that person 20 years to write it. And they could have had it could have been a thousand pages long, but they reduced it to four pages for whatever reason, which then brings me to the next point. Uh, just just one word context. Uh, I'll use my my Lonely Men Club as an example. I had a hard time figuring out, do I need, do we need to have essays before and after it to explain what was going on? Or do we just let people jump in, you know, just go in and figure out what's going on? And ultimately I decided, no, there, I, there fuck that. There's too much shit that happened that I'm just going to let this go out there like that. So yeah, I had to put an essay in there. You wrote something, John, and then I had someone else write something as well, uh, Ken Sparling. <clears throat> and I think all three of those, uh, <coughs> excuse me, perspectives sort of provide context and it's it's a very fine line because it gets to the point where you're either literally explaining what the purpose of the text is which then just it removes value from what a reader could potentially get from it from it um, but then there's also the other type of context where it just really doesn't seem to be saying anything it's just it, it could have just been inside the book itself and it just seems like another edition that's left out of the book and created as some sort of preface or or afterward. But um, yeah, context is very important for me in the sense also that when I'm watching films, if there's a film that people have, you know, an old, let's say, I always use this as an example, silent film. I hate, I do not love, like, I appreciate the fact that it exists. I understand what it's led to and what it's done for the, for the format. But I just, I can't appreciate it. The only way I can appreciate a silent film is when I read reviews or essays about why it's good. Then I understand the value of it. Um, in the same sense, for any type of work that falls under the category we're talking right now, I feel that if one of these mysterious, you know, readers only that I keep referring to, uh, if one of them were to write some 20-page essay about one of these works and why they liked it or why they feel it's important, then that would provide some sort of context that I feel is missing from a lot of this right now. Not that I'm saying any of this work requires that, but because it's such an underground, I guess, community or even just thing, um, and I'm not saying that we, we need all these essays, but I think that's something that's missing that exists in more mainstream media or ma mainstream types of books. And I'm thinking, right, for, for whatever reason, the first thing that came to mind was 
uh, Infinite Chess, which I have never read. I still haven't read, but from David Foster Wallace. Um, you know, all these essays about that. But anything that's in 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 um, public. Uh, popular culture that's considered a success or important for some reason. Then you get all these these people who are readers only, or some of them are writers, professors, who decide they're going to write about it. And there's this website that I discovered recently that I had no idea existed. I know there was medium.com where you can go write whatever you want, but there's another one. I think it's Substack where, um, yeah, people can literally just write newsletters. If people don't know what that, that is. So it's a news, it's a website where you can write a newsletter or an essay or whatever you want, and it can come out on a, periodic basis. And then if people like it, they can give you money. If they don't, you can make it for free. Um, but what I liked about that is it was sort of giving a platform for, I guess, people who just like reviewing books or movies or short stories. And they use that in having these followers, some sort of visual cue that people are interested, gives them that sort of momentum that I feel is missing from just posting these, for example, on Twitter, because you might get 20 likes one week, and then you'll get one like the following week. And then you're like, well, F, you know, fuck this. I'm not doing this anymore. But something like Substack, I think, is very important because it's online only. Um, so people who don't want to buy anything don't have to. And then also it just sort of gives a platform for someone who's a reader only. Yeah, there was no real question there. It was just <laughs> word word vomit. <laughs> I, I very much like see the appeal of that having done like a decent amount of review work myself it feels like there's not that much uh like critical engagement with these works and i think um kind of derived from a old john tweet that i always quote of uh if you don't consider a review part of your body of work then you're doing a bad job um the idea i have that as a that's a poster on my wall, by the way. Oh my god, that's incredible. That's, I, I think I have it like bookmarked on my uh, like Chrome. But <laughs> I, uh, I feel like I always like that's that was the tweet that got me interested in writing about these books. Uh, like the first review copy ever requested was Desert to Meet Squares by M. Kitchell, um, and I remember that email I just sent to John that was like, I would like to review one of your books with like, I think that's like. <laughs> All I sent to you was like, well, I got these like 10 books. So if you'd like to pick one, <laughs> but yeah, it feels like such an important, cause it, I like the idea that kind of focus on the word context, I think is really kind of key that it just gives you more tools for like how to engage with a specific text. It's not telling you how you should read it, but it just puts more ideas in your head so you can even just engage with it differently than how you were when you read it before. Like it just gives you more kind of methods of approach. Absolutely. And, and I know for a fact that John, I don't know if he's still active right now with reviewing books, but I know that, uh, for example, what is it? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Steak Mountain, uh, Hunchback 88. I think you you reviewed that book initially when it came out, and I had never heard of it until you tweeted about it. And I was like, damn, I got to buy this because I think they only released, what, 500 copies of it or a thousand or something. And then it sold out. And I was like, I'm glad I got this. And then I read it. And uh, you 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 mentioned uh, a little while back a novelization of 70s horror and I don't even know what to call this book but it's the first time I'd ever seen anything like it and that is a perfect example at least for myself reading something that just makes you want to write and you just have to because uh, Joe you said you had read you know um, that Blake Butler book and you kept putting it down because you had to keep writing this is how I felt when I was reading Hunchback 88 and then you know from some type of cosmological magic now it's be it's going to be coming out on uh, inside the castle very soon. So people who missed out on the first printing, 
are going to be getting this this one because uh, I remember when I talked to you, John, you had said that uh, yeah, you wrote a review, and then I said you actually read all of it, and you gave me this really funny look, like yeah, why wouldn't I read all of it? Um, and for, for the reason I asked is because I had the hardest time for the reason that I just kept interrupting myself because I couldn't finish it. Um, I did eventually finish it, but because I just was like, this is brilliant. This this whole sequence here, because it's basically a bunch of sequences that. It's very hard to describe. It's while you're reading it, it's so easy to picture or visualize what's going on in the page, even though the words and the sequence they are do not make sense. But it's this type of poetry that it's it's things you've seen in in scary movies throughout the years that completely make sense. But then taken out of context off the screen and thrown on this page with other words that don't necessarily go together, create this sort of mood or atmosphere that I've never seen done before. Um, but I guess, yeah, my original point is that... Uh, that's something that you reviewed, John. And um, are you still doing reviews of books, or is that something that's been put on the back burner? No, I, I haven't had a chance. I the last thing I wrote was something about the tunnel, uh, the gas book, and I have notes for um, something about Gary Shipley um, and Kenji Siratori's necrology <clears throat> that is is the entirety of it is trying to understand how the word swimsuit fits into their particular edition of that book because if you're thinking about this book that is so grimy and repulsive and um you know full of muck and disgusting and uncomfortable pacing and phrasing and then there's the word swimsuit how does that belong there so that that's the that's the only thing that i have on my plate that i haven't gotten to but i will say that you know before i ever had published a single thing online you know or at all that wasn't self-published the book reviews that I was writing were the only way that I was getting published. And I, I couldn't imagine, you know, anyone being aware of Inside the Castle or my own writing or anything had I not made that contribution to the, the dialogue of the community first or, or you know, as part of what I was doing. So I think that what Correo is talking about, you know, that what he has done has made a huge impact, not only on the the dialogue of the community, but on, I would say on his own work probably in, in creating frames of thought for him to, to approach his own work, but also in other people's receptiveness to his work, because they, as I would imagine with me, probably see him as wanting to be open to other people and to be supportive. And the idea that someone would be closed off to that contribution to the community or to other people's work, I think is a pretty big turnoff. So as, as much as, you know, I see a lot of manuscripts come through to me where you know, I don't care if the person's on Twitter or not, but if it doesn't seem like they have participated in 
any kind of larger dialogue about the work that's going on right now, I, I get suspicious. And I, I feel like I earned that ability to be suspicious because I was one of those assholes who, <laughs> who did not contribute anything for a long time. And I, I learned my lesson. I, I feel like it's my goal to help other people understand how useful it is for themselves and for other people to make those contributions. Yeah, and, and an, import, an important thing from the way you both write reviews, um, from what I've seen at least, I've not read all of them, but I've read uh, quite a few, um, I guess compared to how I write reviews, like, I, for, I don't know, because I'm an idiot. The last three, four years, the I have limited my review ability to just writing film reviews on letterbox.com or quick book reviews on Goodreads. And the, the goal of those reviews is just quick to the point and witty, which doesn't do anything for anybody. It's just, oh, he said something funny they click the like button or the thumbs up button and I, and I get a little, a hit of dopamine in my head and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. Um, but what I appreciate from both of you is that there, it, it's, it goes back to that tweet that you wrote, John. It's just the idea that a review essentially should be considered a work that somebody did. Cause another, another problem with the term here, when you say book review or film review or review of any kind, it's for me, at least, I think most people see it as a, you know, a throwaway thing. It's like, Oh, it's their, they're talking about what their what their thoughts regarding an actual piece of work. Well, I'll read the first line and then the last sentence, and then I'll just go look at that book and figure it out for myself. But then when you have things where you're specifically looking at a at a word like swimsuit, or you know some of uh, Mike's reviews that actually go in great depth about the historical context of something, or even what that what other works that author has been involved in and how that has uh, led to this new work. Uh, it's like what you said, John. It shows that not only is there some research involved, but also that person who's writing the review is involved in the community in a sense where they understand what is going on and they have their own thoughts about it. And that also helps inform others who are maybe newcomers or have no idea what to do or how to figure out what's going on. And all these reviews sort of create a basis where you can agree or disagree with what's being said, but what's most important is something is being said, which shows that there's something going on there from the standpoint of a reviewer and also the standpoint of a writer. And that's where that dialogue begins, where then others can jump in, uh, readers can jump in, and then they can, for example, read that work for themselves and say, oh, I disagree with these four points, but I do agree with this one point. And then what they do is they go on social media, write about that, and then other people discover that book, and then real life conversations start happening. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that, uh, Mike, you said earlier that uh, the online medium isn't being used as well as it could be just for fiction or just writing in general. But I would also go further and say that the review format, and I'm also a victim or uh, not a victim, I a culprit of this is I don't take it seriously enough. I should be dedicating, you know, a good, a good amount of time to a book and trying to dissect it in my own way instead of just saying, yeah, this was good, insert joke, end. <laughs> or this was bad, insert joke, end. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like um, my approach I, feels like such a good way to flesh out like your ideas of what you want out of books, not only as like a medium, but out of your own work, um, which is why a lot of my reviews end up reading the same in the sense that they're all kind of approaching what I'm interested in, uh, like in the book object. Um, it just feels like this really great space to figure out like your kind of goal or interest in the medium.
Yeah, so this is the official thing. I think more book reviews need to happen. Not mm -hmm. necessarily from you two or, or you three, but just I think this is a message out there to everyone. I know you have book reviews and you please write them. <laughs> uh, to that point, um, Giacomo Pope, I think, has mentioned this on several occasions. Um, so someone coming from the more, I don't know, post-alt-lit style of writing, um, like, this does seem to be a at least among prose people, like a, I don't know, we all agree that it needs to happen and we're all <laughs> just kind of standing around telling each other that it needs to happen. <laughs> but I'm, I'm fascinated with your, Michael's, uh, like, strong desire for there to be dialogue about a book. Um, and... I don't know. I guess it's like foolish of me to just kind of feel like books are intensely personal things that like you consume the book and then you feel the things and then right. you move on. Um, like, I don't know. I guess it's silly of me to assume or to say this, but like, I don't even really know how to talk about books to other people it's it's very diff uh like difficult <laughs> to me podcast. i know it's it's the whole thing is a struggle of, of like <laughs> i don't know i i guess i i kind of I, I tweeted the other day that i'm not nearly smart enough for like the type of things that i'm doing <laughs> and um yeah, it's it's weird to me that like I want to talk to a writer about like how they wrote the book, um, but like me as a reader talking to a reader about a book is very strange to me. Yeah, uh, um, I mean, I think we all think this. You know, I'm sure that 15 times a day John sits there and goes, "I'm a fraud. I shouldn't be publishing anybody. Why are people coming to me?" Um, and then Joe, you sit there and say, you know, I know nothing about writing, but here, here, yet here I am asking questions about writing to writers. And I feel the same way. I, I go, why, you know, why is this book that I wrote coming out? Why, why did someone accept this? It's, it's crap. Um, and in a way, I think that that's a great feeling to have every now and then, because it shows that you not only care about what you're doing, but you also value what you're doing. You don't want to be bringing in garbage to this realm that you are, that you hold dearly. Um, you know, a weird idea that I had, which I'm still playing around with, which now I've, I feel more compelled to actually do because of our discussion is I had a weird thought of, you know, all these online literature journals or, you know, websites where people post short stories. I wanted to submit to those um, journals, but my submissions would be reviews of short stories they posted. So my short story is a review of one of the short stories. And I brought that idea up to several of them. They said, that's a, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Can you do it? And of course, no, I just fizzle out and say, nah, I don't want to do that. Someone else should do it, but then it never happens. But uh, you know what? I'm going to challenge myself and I'm going to try to do that now because I, I'm just thinking about the reviews that I have read from um, both Mike and John. And every time I read those reviews, I literally would go bookmark that page or, you know, slap me on the head, put it in my Amazon, uh, you know, cart, because that's where I buy my books from. <laughs> and, um, and, and then I'd, I'd, I'd leave it there for a couple of weeks, and I'd come back and go, Oh, yeah, there's this book here. What was this about again? And then I'll go back and look at the review and say, Yep, there was that one line that made me realize I need to read this book. Um, and I think, again, just to add to the reason why I value reviews, I think reviews are so important. Back in the day, book reviews were, you know, 
I, I don't know, New York Times or newspapers or some type of official release. That's where you'd read reviews about books. But nowadays, since we literally have a platform that anyone can jump on and do whatever they want, I think it gives it more, there's more of a impetus for people to actually jump out and say what they believe. And I think that the biggest reason it's not happening is what we've all been saying. Uh, I'm not smart enough for this or, or the, the general consensus from people saying, I don't think that I have the capacity with words or brain power to, you know, articulate what I'm trying to say. And people are just going to laugh at me. And the fact that, you know, I think all of us right now having this discussion, the fact that we overcame that by publishing something and getting it out there. Yes. You're going to have your detractors. Yes. You're going to have your fans or whatever you want to call them. And yes, you're going to have people that are in the middle, but the fact that you're able to just do something that's personal, so personal, and then spend time with it and put it out there and, you know, tell yourself this is good enough to be out there that it can be, it can join the other, you know, books that you, you hold so highly, I think is something right there. And, you know, why not do the same with reviews? Uh, let people say what they want to say. And I know it's hard when people come at you and say things that are, that are not nice, but I think that's, that's also part of the process. Uh, I love to agree to disagree, which is, some type of lost art because a lot of people do not do that apparently these days. Um, but I'm fine having any discussion with anyone at any time about anything. And that's going to be forever. Um, and I think that we all have that same type of value, at least on this call. I mean, not people in general, because I don't know everybody, of course. Well, good. Uh, does anybody have any last thoughts? Uh, I know we're at, we're in like a tight time crunch. I'm gonna give you guys the opportunity to hit a conclusion each before we wrap this up. I feel like Michael really gave us a perfect ending. <laughs> I, I would throw something out there that has been on my mind and a lot of the things that people have been saying in kind of looping back to the beginning of what I started by saying about the term experimental being a dismissive pejorative thing. It is not easy to do this kind of work. It's not easy to do it well, and it's not easy to know that it's it's not going to be regarded uh, with the same lens that most other literature is regarded through. Uh, but I think more more importantly, it's not easy to make it and make it well. And I think that oftentimes the reason that the term is thrown around so negatively is because a lot of the work is not good. And that's kind of what Michael was saying with his controversial tweet. And I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's very laborious to do it well. And I think that's because there's no template or um, guiding principle that more conventional literature can hang its hat on. Um, so that's in, in defense <laughs> is my closing. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, that tweet that you mentioned, uh, I've thought about it for a long time, even though it's only been a year. Um, and I, I think that at some point I am I am going to expand on that in, in the sense that I think I want to actually 
release something formally that shows where I'm actually, because I mean, I, the character limit on Twitter is a killer. I wasn't able to say everything I needed to say in that one tweet, but apparently I said enough to stir the, 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 the masses, which is exactly what I wanted. I wanted a response and I got that response. And part of that response is what led me to realize this is, this is a good topic. And I do want to actually address all the concerns that I received through the DMS as well as what other people said publicly on in response to that, that tweet. Um, and then I was going to follow it up, I, I think six months later, but then I said, yeah, this isn't going to do anything. So I just kept it in the back of my mind. But I think us having this discussion proves that there is a conversation to be had there. Um, and obviously people each, ha uh, everyone has their opinion about this. Um, and I'm hoping that if I am able to, you know, address it formally, uh, more discussion will come from that. But uh, to John's point, this is a very hard thing to do. Mostly, um, again, to what you said, there are no rules. Not that there, there are rules to writing in general, in my opinion, but uh, especially with this, it's just, um, and I think, John, you've seen, you, you, you know, obviously you can't talk about it, but looking at all different types of works from all different types of people, you, you basically get to see what's what's esteemed you know good or bad or in your eyes how you describe it as you know this person hasn't shown their contribution to this group or this type of writing so you know you don't, you don't understand where it's coming from which goes back to that word context you know if you're able to look at all this work they've done or these discussions they've had or just their presence um within this community it then kind of shows you what trajectory they're going toward or what their ideals are but when it's just someone coming out of the blue like that um you're not really sure what's happening there and especially for the fact that there is no rule book for this it's very hard to determine what's going on um and i think it's a very hard decision to make on your end when you decide something will will or will not be published for different reasons i don't know that i could do that um, but i think it gives you a sort of lens where you're able to you know see things differently than we do um, but then i also think by writing reviews you not only look at your own work but then you look at other works to sort of inform your own definition of what this type of work is. And that's also why I think reviews are important because then it sort of allows that writer who's writing that review to think critically in a way that they wouldn't. And also they don't want to look like a dumbass because this is going to be read by a lot of people. So it makes you think differently in that sense where you're taking it more seriously. Um, so I'm just hoping that uh, this conversation helps a lot of others out there who have been wondering or sitting on the fence about trying to write something or even review books. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that I can speak for everyone here when I say if people have questions or want to reach out, please do. Uh, you know, there is no throne here. There is no manual. There is no guidebook or rule book. It's just do what you think you want to do. And if you have questions, ask them. That's all I have to say.